Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Encounter Church. Uh, we're so glad that you're here worshiping with us. Video in the upper lobby as well. Glad that you're here today. Uh, we are starting a brand new series here at Encounter called Fatal Failure. And uh, the idea behind this series, you may have heard before that, uh, well, not every failure is fatal, but sometimes it sure does feel like it, especially if you're somebody like me, uh, that you're kind of a verbal processor. And what's nice about people like me is that you never have to wonder what I'm thinking about because whatever is happening up here is like also coming out of here, right? It's just in real time. There's very, very little filter between the two, which sometimes gets me into a little bit of trouble, especially when you like go to the movies and they sell you a ticket. And then what do they say? They go, enjoy the show. And without even hesitating and thinking about a response, I just say back, you too. Yeah, you've been there as well. It's, and you just, you waste like the first 15 minutes of the movie just like replaying in your head and you're like, it's the same thing. I think it was the same person who sold me a ticket last time I came to the movies, like every single time. I mean, this is like, this is what I do. This is, this is my mess ups just constantly. And as bad as it is doing it, doing it at the movie theater, sometimes, sometimes you get invited to a family friend's funeral and put your foot in your mouth on that one. And it's in Entirely embarrassing. Like when you, you know, go to the thing and then try to like, you know, you respectfully sneaking out there and, and somebody catches you in the family and they're like, hey, thank you so much for coming. It means so much to me and the rest of the family that you're here. And then without even thinking, I respond, thanks, I had a great time. Like what is, it's cringy, right? It's painful. And you're like, I'm not inviting you to my funeral. And just, that's okay. Think about it for just a second. You'll get over it. Um, no, it's, it's painful, you know, those, those failures. Uh, I just want to, like, let you know, however badly you've had that foot and mouth, like, whatever your kind of failure is. Like, I've probably been there, too. My wife and I, uh, when we were newlyweds, we did an internship in a church in Northern California, and we lived in a place just north of that. And so we drove south to this, uh, to this suburb on the north side of town, and we didn't even realize that we missed an exit until we could see the Sacramento City skyline that we were driving into. I had to call the church and tell them that I was going to be 45 minutes late because I missed an exit. She asked me, my wife, she's like, do you just, when I'm not in the car, do you just drive around like missing turns all day? Is that what you do? And it's like, kind of, yeah, that, that's me. And I know you've had, you've had all kinds of failures that you could tell and retell over and over again, right? We've all, we've all been there before. Um, but today, we're not going to talk about just those kinds of failures. We're not going to talk about just the silly things or the situational things that you do when you're out for a walk and the sidewalk in front of you magically jumps up three inches and you catch your toe and kind of like do tumble over, tuck and roll like you're training for American Ninja Warrior Championships. We're not talking about that this morning. We're talking about something a lot more serious. Because we're talking about those times when you fail so hard, you're convinced it's fatal. We're talking about those times when it's debilitating. We're talking about those times when you just can't even imagine getting back up and going to work the next day or going back to your family or seeing the person that you let down. We're talking about those kinds of failures that you're looking at and going, it, it got me. It's fatal. I'm not coming back from this. And you have to know something, church. You have to know that you serve and worship a God who specializes in raising the dead. And so for our purposes this morning and throughout this entire series, actually, this whole thing could just fall under one umbrella. 
is to say many of us, we think that our failures, we think our mistakes, we think that being a sinner disqualifies us from following Jesus. But the reality is, it doesn't disqualify us, it's a prerequisite. We need it, it's required. And so I'm just going to say that one more time, because it is the whole series in a nutshell right there, is that we think that our failures, our mistakes, Being a sinner disqualifies us from following Jesus, but the way Jesus taught us to believe is that it's actually required. It's a prerequisite to following after him. And we get that from a story this morning that's told in the Gospels. It's told twice, actually. It's the story of the the calling of Simon Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. And what I want to do for us this morning is take a look. It's kind of unique. It's a little bit different. And if you've heard this story, it's probably going to be a little bit different than maybe you've heard it before. So you know, unlike usual, try to pay attention to me. If we could just kind of like hang in there together, I think it'd be worth it in the end. We're going to look at this story from two different angles. We're going to look at it because the Jesus story is told. It's so important. It's that, it's that historic and it's that sense of like global importance of a story that the Jesus story is told four times from four different perspectives, presumably for four different audiences. And so we're going to take a look at two of them this morning. The first one is Matthew. Now, when Matthew tells the story, he's writing to these like good Jewish kids who raised up in the synagogue, who raised up in spirituality. These are kids that could just, that could recite large memorized portions of the stories in the Old Testament. These are, these are kids that knew the stories. They were family stories. These are kids that knew the Bible to them. And, and Matthew writes the Jesus story specifically towards them, kind of like religious insiders. So if you like grew up in church and if you know all these stories and if, and if very little new information comes at you, like, listen, Matthew might be the perfect Jesus story gospel for you because he's writing it with, for, with you actually in mind. But the way Matthew tells the calling story of one of Jesus' disciples, Simon Peter, it is like, it is scary direct. So let's go there. If you want to follow along, there's Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. If there's not, somebody took it at 9.15, and we actually like that around here and celebrate that. So if you'd like to take one, that's our gift to you as well. And the words are going to be on the screen behind me. It starts off Matthew 4, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. He saw Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake. They were fishermen. Like, thank you, Captain Obvious, as opposed to recreational people casting nets into the lake, right? This is how direct it is. Listen, verse 19, come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you, I'll make you out to fish for people. And we just, can you imagine that happening today? Like, can you just imagine like Jesus swinging by a job site, right? And uh, he just like construction kind of hammer, nails, air compressors are going on and Jesus is like, hey, follow me. Plumber, you can plumb for people. Like, what does that even mean? What do you mean plumb for people? What does it mean fish for people? Like, Jesus, come on, man. I'm a cool sermon, but like, I'm trying to get something done over here, right? Like, framers, just come frame folks. Like, let's just do, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. What does, it, what does it mean? And so, like, maybe some of you have heard this before, and you're like going, you know, I've, I've heard that, that I'm supposed to just like drop everything and like follow, follow after him, but it He gives us very little to go on in Matthew. Yeah, yeah, it gets worse. Listen, next verse. Verse 21, going on from there, Jesus now, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and they were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called to them, verse 22, and immediately, 
immediately. They left the boat and their father and followed him. Like what in the world? These guys are in the boat and Jesus is like, hey, you guys see, like, come follow me. And they're like, well, okay, that's it. See you, Dad. Like, I'm gone. Drop the nets. Tell Mom, you know, we said goodbye. Good luck with the family business. If there's a mic to drop, like, that's the time that it, that it drops. Like, Jesus, he's, he just took them. They're gone. They're out of there. And the part of that story that gets me, though, is like, maybe you've heard that before, and it was presented to you, maybe like at Jesus camp, or maybe just here on the weekends. And we just, like, frame this, and we set it up. It's like, now is the time Jesus is calling you. It's time to drop everything and follow after him. Whatever it is, let it go. Because he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. So get on board. Follow in. Drop everything. And you're going, I don't know. That seems like a really tall order. Like you're asking for a lot. Yeah, I'm asking for your whole life. That's what he deserves, doesn't he? I don't know. Like can I just like finish the semester? Can I... Can I get a little bit more information? But that's Matthew. He gives us very, very little to go on. And maybe if you were raised in the church and you went to Sunday school in Jesus camp and church on the weekends, maybe that's all it would take. But for some of us, for some of you, it's going to take a little bit more than that. And so Matthew, he tells us the story. Another one of the Jesus authors Luke, he tells us the rest of the story. Matthew tells us the story. Luke tells us the whole story. Because Luke is his gospel, a Jesus story written to people, and he presumes very little information. He doesn't assume that you grew up on it. He doesn't assume you know the stories. He just kind of tells the story for anybody as an open book who's willing to learn more, Luke. And so Luke gives us quite a bit of information that Matthew chooses not to include. So we kick off the same story now in Luke chapter 5, verse 1, that one day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. He calls it something else. He's the only one who calls it the lake of Gennesaret. John called it the Sea of Tiberias. Everybody else like Matthew calls it the Sea of Galilee, but that's not relevant at all. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. So Jesus is teaching and like everybody's called, everybody's gathered around and they're listening and they're learning and they're discerning together. So that's a crucial step in the process. Jesus didn't just swing by the job site and be like, hey, plumb for people, I'm, let's go. No, 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 Jesus has been teaching. He's giving information, which is huge, right? Because, because anybody that asks you to like blindly follow along without asking any questions, like check your brain at the door, that's not welcome here. That's not Jesus that they're presenting to you because Jesus always started with presenting content, with presenting teaching, with like something to build a faith on. Verse 2, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets, the washing the nets. This is what you do when you're done fishing, when you're done fishing for the day. Now, it's important, it's important to kind of get a sense of like what fishing is all about because it's really relevant to the story. I'm not a, I'm not a fisherman at all. Like I'm, the, I'm the kind of fisherman that like when I'm out there, I'm hoping I don't catch something because if I do, then I have to figure out what in the world to do with it, <laughs> right? I just want to hang out. That's what I'm here for. It's, you know, a nice day. Like, let's go hang out on the water. That sounds, 
Sounds nice. I'm not a fisherman. My neighbor, though, is guy, he's weighing into it as a, as a profession, in fact. He, he takes people on these like uh, fly fishing excursions all around the country. Like this is his thing. So don't take my word. You know, I'm talking to him about this thing. One thing he says is like, people don't understand. 100% of the fish are in like 10% of the water. So if you're not in that 10% or if you don't know how to find that 10%, you have a 100% chance of catching absolutely nothing, no matter how long you're out there. Because the fish, like they aren't, they aren't there. And which is important information in our story because, because for them, they're not like deep sea fishing. They go out, they go out at night, the water's a little cooler, the fish come to the top to feed, and that's when they throw the nets over and try to like scoop up the fish that are hanging out near the, near the top of the water. Now, that they're washing the nets is what happens when they're done. Because when they're done fishing all night long, it's now morning or late morning, and they're cleaning the algae, the seaweed, they're cleaning the sunglasses that get caught in their beer cans, like just trying to get everything out of the net, hanging it up, letting it dry so it's ready to come back to you in good shape for the next night. And we're going to find out in the story that Luke tells a little bit later on that they were actually washing nets and nothing was caught in the night before. Now, I just think that's an important detail not to overlook. Because there is almost nothing as discouraging as washing a net that caught no fish. All night, Peter was out there. As a professional, this is how he feeds his family. And he caught nothing. Which means no money, no food, no rent, nothing. There is little more discouraging than washing a net that caught no fish. Some of you have been there. And you're like, no, no, I get that. There is almost nothing as discouraging as going to round after round of marriage counseling weekly and seeing almost no progression forward. Some of you are like, I've checked out book after book of the library, trying to understand why my kid is the way she is, and I just can't crack the code. I don't know what it is. There is little as discouraging as binge listening podcast after podcast of relationship building, of parenting, and just seeing no relationship build with your kid. There's almost nothing as discouraging as going online filling out the, the, the little job description bubbles, attaching a resume, getting a phone interview, an in-person interview, a follow-up interview, and then an email following up saying, thanks for applying, not at this time, try again later. And then sitting down at the keyboard to do the whole thing over again. There's almost nothing as discouraging as, as washing a net that caught no fish. See, people... people cast to you that success is like this one easy step process. That success looks like it's a line, and it's always going up and to the right every bit. It's just one step, and you're there. That's it. It's done. People cast success in relationships. Like, oh, man, it was such a great, meet cute story. You know, we sat behind her in organic chemistry. I got up the nerve to ask her out. And long story short, we lived happily ever after. It started with us having chemistry together. Isn't that adorable? <laughs> Except for that's not what happened. 
I mean, you tried, you asked her out, she said no, and that's it. She lived happily ever after. I'm still looking, right? Like, that's the story. It doesn't go like that at all. And you're going like, well, what happened to that success thing that's just like easy and clear, one step? I could see it. Why couldn't they? No matter what you're talking about, relationships, business, career, family, or your own spiritual walk with God, listen to me, this is like, we just expect that it's going to be a straight shot up and to the right, progress all the way, and the reality is nothing like it. I could, I could pose two stories of what my life has been like around here. And I'll be honest that there's like a, there's a, there's a website bio line that says something like, Dirk and his wife Kristen as young newlyweds with a baby on the way started Encounter Church in the living room. And today it's one of the youngest and fastest growing in West Michigan. Awesome. But that's not the truth. The truth is that the parts that we live out are the parts about how with about two months left to go before our very publicized launch of this new church, we had no place to meet because the school we were praying over was still a hard pass. The truth is that I had a conversation with our bookkeeper early on in the first few months that said, we are tanking. Maybe we should make some plans. And that's a heavy word in that context. The truth is that nobody tells you how incredibly hard starting a new church is on a marriage. I found this, uh, I found this online and it just states it. It's so perfect for our purposes this morning, for this discouragement and for the setbacks. It's so good. So maybe you've seen it before. Somebody was journaling uh, together and they said, this is just what success looks like. Success looks what people think it looks like, straight shot up and to the right. What it actually, what it really looks like. And it's just like squiggling, curly cues, the letter X, I don't know. I got a niner in there. Like that's what it actually looks like. And it's like, yes, that's it. Because those are stories of discouragement. Those are stories of setbacks. Those are stories failure. And sometimes it feels fatal. But do not forget that God specializes in raising the dead. That failure doesn't mean it's time to give up. Failure means it's time to ask God for his next step. And then God shows up. God shows up here in verse 3. Jesus now, he got into one of the boats just gets in. I love it. The one belonging, he takes the first, first step, speaks the first word. The one belonging to Simon Peter and asked him to put out a little from shore. See, the acoustics were better in the boat. People couldn't hear him on land. And so he thought if he could get out a little ways with the backdrop of the hill, people could actually hear his teaching. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Verse 4, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, he said, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Remember when I told you about fishing? The best time is all night. 100% of the, 100% of the fish are in 10% of the water. The daytime is a, is a terrible time to go fishing. And so we actually, we know exactly what Simon Peter was thinking when Jesus asked him, hey, let's go fishing during the day. We know that Simon Peter was, asked, was thinking to himself, typical carpenter, like knows nothing about fishing at all, right? That's, that's it. But Jesus asked him to do something that he's done a thousand times, but he asked him to do it 
differently this time than ever before. And Simon Peter, verse 5, Simon Peter answered him, Master. Isn't that interesting? He uses the word master. He didn't address him at all, but now he gives him the respectful title of master because he's been listening to Jesus' teaching. He's been impacted by the content and by the lessons that Jesus has taught. It resonated with Simon Peter, and so he gives him the respect of calling him master. We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Like, Jesus, you say so. I already did the thing. I finished doing the thing that you do when you're finished with something. It's like those of you dads who make pancakes on Saturdays when you, like, clean the pan and the spatula and the bowl, you put everything away, and the kid's like, can I have one more? I I finished doing the thing that I did when I'm done doing it. I'm I'm out, right? And then Jesus says, hey, would you do it one more time? And Peter's like, Jesus... I don't know if you noticed this, but you actually, you developed a crowd around you, and that's great for you, but now you're asking me to go out into the water during the day when no boats are out there at all fishing. It's a terrible time to do this particular kind of fishing. Jesus, do you know they're going to laugh at me when I push out into the water? Do you know what you're asking? But because he stuck around and heard Jesus teaching just this enough, he was like, listen, okay, I guess. And because he caught no fish, he had nothing to lose. See, just imagine, imagine if the story was, if if it went a different way. Imagine if the night before he's a professional fisherman, imagine if he has a usual haul. He's got a bucket or two of fish. He's got a bucket or two of fish and Jesus is giving his compelling message and Peter's sitting there, Simon Peter, and he's, you know, he's listening to this. He's like, oh, that's good. That's good. That kind of resonates with me. I understand where you're coming from, Jesus. You seem like a smart guy. And Jesus is like, let's go fishing during the day. And he's like, no, nah, man, I got a bucket full of excuses. I can go, in, I can go into town. I got, I, got a, I got a barter for a good price on my fish. I got to sell them to the best bidder. You know, I got to go grocery shopping. I got to come home. I got to see my wife. I got to see my kids. I got to pay the rent. I got to go grocery shopping. Like, come on, man. I got all kinds of things to do. I got a bucket of excuses here, except for all night long, he's been out there failing, bringing nothing in at all. And so now he doesn't have to go to market. He doesn't have to barter for a good price. He doesn't have to go home and see the disappointed look on his wife's face when he says there's no money and his kids when he says there's no food. He's got nothing to lose. So he says, Jesus, you are literally the best option I have. Even though it makes no sense at all, I'll do it. And church, you don't get to a place where you'll say yes like that if you've had any kind of success on your own. That kind of yes only comes from a bucket of failure all night long. And just, just like imagine though, like the two, the two roads, like the two paths that went ahead of, of Simon Peter at this juncture in his life. Just like it's, if he could go ghost of Christmas future style, like see you know, what's in store. You know, on the one hand, you know, but on the other Like Simon Peter says yes to Jesus and his life has changed. In fact, the lives of everybody around him, his coworkers, his fellow fishermen, those lives are changed. 
That Simon Peter would be known as like the rock upon which Jesus builds this incredible church. That Simon Peter is just a story that's told and retold throughout all these generations. Imagine, like again, Ghost of Future style, Jesus like could take Peter and show him like, like what's going to happen. And Jesus says, listen, Peter, I, I want to show you this cool building. You know, Peter, it's going to be great. It's, it's yours. We've got this slide coming up here. Peter, it's amazing. It's gold. It's ornate. It's fancy. It's obviously extremely expensive. Peter, this thing right here, this is a basilica. And he's like, what? He says, like, don't worry about that. It's called St. Peter's Basilica. It's named after you. Peter, it's named after, do you know where it is? It's in Rome. He's like, Rome? Rome, right? Like that Rome, like our oppressors? Rome. Yeah, yeah, it's in Rome. The current emperor, Tiberius, actually, he's like a footnote in the history of like what you and Jesus were up to in this era, in, in human history. Like you guys were, this was the most important thing, Jesus. And like this other guy, this emperor, he's just, we almost forgot about him. In fact, people are going to go to Rome and they'll take tours. They'll pay for tours. And they're going to tour the ruins of, of Emperor Tiberius, the Caesar at the time. They'll, they'll tour his ruins and they'll worship at your church that's still being used. Like, Peter, that's how significant you're going to outlast the Roman emperor because you had failure, because you're not tempted to exchange that for a bucket of fish. I just wonder how often when we pray for something... And God's like, man, if I gave that to you, you couldn't see past that. I've got something so much grander, so much, some, something so much bigger in mind for you. But listen, it's got to start with failure today so you can be in a place where you can say yes tomorrow. I just wonder like, how often God's like, listen, listen, you have to know that there's got to be pain so that you can see me as a healer. You've got to know that there's got to be difficulty so that you can see me as a deliverer. You've got to live and experience deep and profound brokenness in this life because you, and only, that's the only way that you're going to know that I am the one, the true one, that can completely, wholly put you back together again. It starts with a place of mistakes. It starts with a place of flat on your face, fatal failure. Because that doesn't disqualify you from Jesus. That is a prerequisite to following after Jesus. That failure, it is an event. It is not a person. It is an event. It is not a destiny. It is a starting point to saying yes. And that's what we find. He says yes. I'll let down the nets. And so the next line in verse 6, when they have done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled the partners in the other boat to, to come and help them. And they came, and both boats were so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. We're not talking about fishing anymore. 
Not even close. Because Simon Peter, he has a realization that day. He has a realization. He went from calling him nothing, not addressed at all, to then the respectful tone of master, to now at his knees, laying down before him and calling him Lord. Simon Peter had a realization that day of who Jesus was and who he is as a sinful man. Simon Peter that day became St. Peter, or he would become St. Peter. He was transformed that day. He found out who Jesus was. He found out who he was. Verse 9, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon Peter, he said, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. From now on. I've got a future for you from now on. This is the beginning, not the end, from now on. And so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything. Then they followed after him. That's the story of Peter. That's the story of how Simon Peter became St. Peter. And it started with him failing so hard They couldn't help but say yes to Jesus. Now, some of you are going to head out today and you're going to try something and you'll fail at something. When you go out here today, I hope that you try to pay a little more attention to what God is up to in your life. I hope that you go out and try to start that Bible reading program you've been putting off for roughly a year now. I hope that you're going to go out there and try to sit down and pray your boyfriend or girlfriend, or even better, your husband, your wife, your fiance. And you might do that today and tomorrow you'll fail. That's okay. God specializes in raising the dead. Try again the next day. If you fail once, don't fail again. Just keep on going. You're going to head out into the week this week. You're going to fail. And every time you do, remind yourself, this is the beginning, not the end. That failure Even spiritual failure, falling flat on your face, it does not disqualify you from Jesus. In fact, it's a prerequisite to God doing something incredible with your life. Tell yourself that. Every time you fail, this is the beginning, not the end. God's raising me up. There's like this legend, uh, this tradition, um, that when Christians die, when everybody dies, actually, uh, they like float away on a cloud somewhere, you know, and they get to heaven and there's like these big pearly gates and St. Peter is there with his long list. And that's not in anywhere in the Bible. I've read this, it's cover to cover, it's not there, right? Super unbiblical, just something somebody made up along the way, that's it. But listen, like as a tradition, even if it's made up, I can find nothing more appropriate than the person who would greet you at those gates to be Peter, a guy who knows firsthand failure, mess-ups, blunder again and again and again. His story begins with failure. And that's how God does what God does in his life. It's possible because he handed over his failure to God and said, I can't make anything with it. What do you think you could make of it? And God says, I'd say just about everything. It's so appropriate because Simon Peter, he knew that failure wasn't the end. It wasn't his destiny. It's certainly not a person. It's just the time now to ask God, what's your next step for me? This failure 
doesn't disqualify me. It's a prerequisite to me learning grace. So in just a moment, we're going to celebrate communion here together. And this is for those of us who failed. As a community of failures, we're going to celebrate this act as ushers pass bread and juice down the rows. If you recognize that standing before God, you're a failure, that you can't measure up, that you're a sinful person. I know who I am, a sinful man, Peter says, and Lord, I know who you are, a holy God. And I need you to do something with my bucket of failures. Then please, we hope that you celebrate this with us. Even if this is the first time at Encounter Church, if this is the first time in church in general, if you're ready to turn your life over to God, over to Jesus, please eat the bread, drink the juice with us. But then just one more request is that we ask that you tell someone. Tell me about it. This is the first time I celebrated. Tell if this is the first time or the first time in a long time that you celebrated communion. We have a worship team up here. They're worship leaders, whether they do that with their mouths or with their instruments. These are people who would love to celebrate with you. Tell somebody today what God is up to in your life. We have a team set up in back. They would love to pray with you during this last song. If you're not ready yet, if this is not your commitment time, if this is not where you are, if you're in that exploration stage, if you're just listening like Peter was, just listening, that's okay too. Just during this song, let that plate slide right on by. It's okay. In your time, in God's time, I'll see what he does through you as well. I want to invite you to stand up right now and let's pray together as a community of failures today. Gracious God, we have so very little to offer you. In fact, what we do have to offer is a bucket of our shame, a bucket of our failures, all the mistakes that we've made, the moral blunders, the words we wish that we could take back. God, you're the one who makes beautiful things out of the mess. And so we ask God that you make something beautiful out of our lives, out of our buckets as well. God, to those of us who are just at the end of ourselves, teach us in a new way here today that the end of us is the beginning of you. That we start with failure. We don't end on it. God, because when you were cold and put into that grave, the story was just beginning. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.